It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen? He is alive. He saves. What is it that you can't shut up about? What is it that you can't help but speak about? Jesus, good. When we see Peter and John, and, and they, they couldn't shut up about it, and, and they, the, the, the authority said, you cannot talk about Jesus anymore. You're offending people. You're offending us. You're causing riots. You're causing all kinds of disturbances. Go, do it, do it on your own. Do it in private. And they said, who should we obey, you or should we obey God? I can't help but speak about the things that I've seen and heard. That's what we just sing about. I came to tell you that he's alive. I came to tell you that he saves. Look at the passage of, in Romans there in your outline. It will be on the screens. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope. Overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been in this series on outflow and and we've been looking at this passage of scripture. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this this next image here, we've looked at this this fountain. We saw that the, the source of our hope, the source of our joy is in the Holy Spirit. And, and what the Lord puts into us should overflow. It should get out on us. This isn't some kind of a secret thing. This isn't something that we just kind of tuck away and keep it private. Hey, friend, your faith is personal, but it's never meant to be private. It's, it's meant to be overflow out of you. May the God of, of hope overflow in you may he fill you with his hope may he fill you with his peace so you can overflow on those around you now we saw that we will see this overflow in our own heart but friends if you've truly encountered jesus if you've truly experienced jesus if you are truly following jesus you will have an overflow not just for yourself but it will impact your family and friends it will happen It's not if, it will happen. You will impact your family and your friends out of the fresh overflow of what Jesus is doing in your life. That doesn't mean that they're forced to respond one way or another, but they will forever be changed. They cannot get the taste out of their mouth of what it was like to hear you talk about your experience with Jesus. When we truly experience Jesus, when we truly see Jesus, when we truly are walking with him, he will impact our family and friends through us. That's what discipleship is all about. Really, since last July, almost a year, we've been talking about discipleship in one form or another and looking at when we see who Jesus is to us, who he really is to us, we begin to see what he's doing like we've just been accounting. And and then when we begin to see that he is talking to us, he is speaking to us through his word, through other believers, he's speaking to us in our mind, he calls us to obedience. And when he calls us to obedience, we can feel, oh my goodness, I can't handle this. And we see the power he gives to us. That's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. When we do this, you will overflow. It's not meant just for you. Well, let's look at the Bible and see some real life accounts of this impacting families. Turn with me to John chapter 4. I'll be reading verse 47 through 53. John chapter 4, verse 47 through 53. We sing about Jesus turning water into wine, that miracle he performed at the wedding there at Cana. Verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned water into wine. And there was a centurion, royal 
royal officer whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. Then this royal officer said, sir, come down before my child dies. Come to my family. Come to my house. I want them to experience you too. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. You see, Jesus was doing miraculous things and touching people's lives. And this official heard of Jesus and he wanted to get close to Jesus and he wanted to encounter himself and he got close to Jesus. He saw Jesus and he wanted it for his son. He wanted it for his family. It didn't happen the way that he had hoped. He wanted Jesus to come with him, but his trust in Jesus, he said, go and I will make him well. When he encountered Jesus, through his testimony, through his faith, it impacted his family. His whole family believed. That's what took place. Well, Brady, that, that's just one example. That's just one weird thing in Scripture. That's not what typically happens. That, that's not how it really goes. Okay, well, let's, let's look on. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, we find Paul and Silas. In Acts chapter 16, we see this woman, Lydia. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where... We expected to find a place of prayer. Put a bookmark in your mind right there. So Paul and Silas, they're, they're going about their ministry. They were going to a place of prayer. They are expected to find this rhythm, this place of prayer. And then they sat down and they began to speak to the woman, women who had gathered there. One of those women who was listening was named Lydia. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited them into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come in and stay at my house. Scripture says that she persuaded them. They saw that she was a believer in Jesus. Here, Paul and Silas, they had encountered Jesus and they couldn't shut up about Jesus. They said, I'm here to tell you that he is alive and that he saves. And when they began to speak about Jesus, right when they were going to pray, the Lord opened up opportunities. Praise God for what he does when people pray. When we begin to pray, it opens up hearts of people around us. Here, Lydia had an encounter with the good news about Jesus and an entire family was reached. Well, that, that's just two unique things in Scripture, Brady. That, that's not really a, a pattern. Well, let's, let's just keep reading on. Well, let's look on. Acts 16, uh, we, we see really there, uh, verse 16 and on. Paul and Silas, again, once when we were going to the place of prayer, they're praying again. That's a lot of prayer that they're doing. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit 
by which she predicted the future. She was possessed by an evil spirit, and her masters were using this gift from the evil spirit to make money off of her. And she was going around saying, hey, these guys are telling you everything you need to know, need to, know to be saved. And, and we begin to see that Paul's getting so annoyed. Out of his annoyance, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I... I Command you, evil spirit, leave this body. The woman is set free by the power of Jesus, and the people are hacked off. They're so upset. They said, hey, hey, that's the way we made money. This was our fortune-telling business, and you've driven this out of her. You need to be held accountable. We have suffered damages because of this. So they take them before the leaders, and they, they say, hey, you can't do this. And so they beat them, and they flog them. You ever been beaten? You ever been flogged? I've never been flogged. That's like a really bad beating. They're beaten to a bloody pulp. And then the scripture says they were thrown into jail. Now, now look at this. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They're praying again. Some powerful things happen when they start praying. They were praying and singing hymns to God. Isn't that a great picture like us? When we face persecution and people say all kinds of false things about us and they start trying to come against us in the name of Jesus, we just want to sing hymns and praise God. Isn't that what we do? God help us. The things that we call persecution, I don't even know if we can, you can utter that as persecution. You know the things we say? Well, Brady, I'm facing great persecution. I've invited them over to my house four times and they've not invited me back one time. The things we get aggravated about, I, I, I never said anything like that, and, and they just, they're just misrepresenting me, and they're, they're just mean to me. I went to the grocery store, and, and they laughed at me. Friends, I'm not trying to make light of the challenges we face, but, but God help us. Persecution should drive us closer to Him. Here, they have been flogged, they have been beaten to a bloody pulp, and they're sitting in prison, and, and they didn't know any better. They're going to praise Jesus, because Jesus was still Lord, and they began to sing, Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Everybody else in jail starts going, what's happening? Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. They heard a lot of things in that jail, but but singing praises to Jesus was not one. And the scripture tells us as we read, they were listening. And then as they were singing, there was an earthquake. And the earthquake broke up the foundation and the doors swung open and the chains fell off. And here the jailer, who was sentenced to, to watch these guys, he was commissioned to watch these guys. And if they had escaped, they would have taken his life. He sees the doors open up and the scripture tells us that he goes for his sword, getting ready to take his own life. And Paul says, wait, wait, stop. Don't take your life. See, he was going to take his own life because here, when the doors open up, why would prisoners stay? When the doors opened up, especially those who were not guilty, why wouldn't they just flee? And he knew that once the authorities found out that the prisoners had gotten away on his watch, they would have killed him. He thought it would just be better for me to be dead, take my own life, than to go through the shame, humiliation of losing to these prisoners. And, and Paul steps in and says, hey, hey, look, we're still here. Who sticks around at a jail scene when they were not guilty, but yet they had a message to share? And so look here what the Scripture says to us. Verse 30, He brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Well, let me just go to coffee with you for the next ten years and we'll just kind of let it rub off. Sir, what must I do to be saved? Well, 
just kind of believe in a higher power. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, it's kind of personal for me, and I don't like to talk about it too much. Sir, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and your whole household. They spoke of the word of the Lord to them and all the others in the house. And at the hour that night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Immediately he said, I believe in this. I want to give a testimony. I want to die to myself. I'm going to be raised in the likeness of Christ. They were changed, impacted right away because of the encounter that this jailer had with the good news of Jesus. This woman who was demon-possessed was was changed as she encountered the good news of Jesus. Friends, if you're close to Jesus, the people that are close to you will be impacted by the good news of Jesus. The overflow of what Jesus is doing. Now, I know that they tell us one of the number one reasons people don't share their faith is fear. And I get that, and I understand it, and we may do some teaching on that. But friends, I think there's a bigger reason. I'm convinced that there's people who don't share their faith because they don't have anything to share. What is it that you've seen and heard that you can't shut up about? What is it that you've experienced of Christ that you've got to say, Hey, this is who Jesus is to me. This is what I'm watching him doing. This is what I'm hearing him say. This is how I'm trying to be obedient. And this is how I've got to have his power or I'm absolutely helpless. That's what relationship with Jesus is. And when you share like that, it impacts your family. It impacts your friends, those closest to you. May the God of hope... Fill you with joy as you trust in Him, peace as you trust in Him, love as you trust in Him, and and may you overflow with this hope. Overflow with this message by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be honest about a couple things this morning. Even though all that is true, let's be honest, there's some things that's not in your power to do. See, you cannot change the past. No matter how much you believe in Christ, no matter how much you've given your heart to Him, no matter how much you desire, you cannot change the past. You can't change what you said back then. You can't change how you acted back then. You can't change on the things you didn't do, the things you didn't say that you should have been there, you should have said. You can't change that. You can't change the things in the past that your family member, that your friend, that your loved one had done to you. That's caused a schism. That's caused pain. You can't change it. You can't change the things that they didn't do, that you so desperately needed to hear from them, that you so desperately wanted to receive from them. You cannot change it. We need to be honest. You don't have the power to, and Jesus isn't asking you to have the power to. But as much as we know that, we need to understand that you cannot control the future either. Sometimes we say, well, I can't change the past, but but I'm going to do everything I can. This will never happen again. I'm going to mastermind this. And so in these relationships with my family, my mom, my dad, my son, my daughter, my brother, my sister, my extended family, my close friends, I'm going to make sure I can control it. You can't control the future. The Lord has never asked you to control the future. In fact, when I say that if you have an authentic experience with Jesus, it will impact the people closest to you. It doesn't mean that they are forced to believe. In fact, you can't force anyone to believe. That's the next one. You don't have the power to do that. You can't force anyone to believe. Jesus gives free will to all of us. So if we're honest about that, let's focus in on what Jesus does empower us to do. What does Jesus empower us to do? Because if we have an encounter with him, he wants to overflow in our heart, and it will overflow in our hearts and into our friends and to our family as well. Well, let's focus on what he empowers us to do. First, you can pray. 
Well, Carrie's excited about that prayer. But I, I think that for a lot of us, if we're really honest, if, when we hear, well, you can pray, we go, is that it? My dad's lost. My mom's lost. My brother's lost. My children are lost. And you just pray? Friend, there is power in prayer. Prayer changes things. Every one of these accounts, we saw what happened when they were praying. God brought an opportunity. He was beginning to set the stage to do a miracle. It was in the moments where they were there praying. Could it possibly be that God is positioning you to be in a place of prayer to open up an opportunity? Prayer changes things. And guess what, friend? You are one of those things. I believe that for some of our loved ones, the very thing that God wants to change is you, is me. Because when we overflow with what Jesus has done in us, not just saying, you dirty, rotten, whatever, why don't you get this right and do this right? But once we start overflowing, (laughs) Jesus is alive. I'm here to tell you that Jesus saves. He's bringing healing and wholeness in my heart. I just got to tell you, guess what? Your friends and family, they know you. They know what your breath smells like in the morning. It stinks bad. Oh, you clean up nice, but it reeks. Your feet are stinky. They're weird. They know you. They love you anyway. But when they see something authentic happen in your life, how do they deal with that? They're impacted for Christ. We can pray. He empowers us to pray. It's not just saying some hocus-pocus phrases or words that unleash some kind of spell. It is calling on the heart of God. And when his children pray, he changes things. He also empowers us to listen and to love. Some of us, we've talked so much to our family and to our close friends that we just need to shut up. We need to just listen for a little bit. Because if we would listen, maybe then the Lord could help us to discern what is the real need that they're facing. If we would listen, maybe then the Lord could fill us with His love and His compassion and our response would be different than our own pattern or our own plan. And if we could see that the Lord empowers us to listen. I don't know if I'm a good listener, Brady. It doesn't matter if you're a good listener or not. The Lord is calling us to listen and then in turn to love. And when we hear their heart, when we hear their situation, when we hear their pain, the Lord can pour that into us. He empowers us to listen and to love. And then also, some of us, we need to recognize that He empowers us to share and to serve. Some of us, we say, well, I just listen. I don't say anything. Hey, hey. Have you actually ever put words to your faith? Have you ever spoken out loud who Jesus is to you? Have you ever spoken out loud the hope that He is in your life? Have you ever communicated with them, share with them the good news of Jesus? What is it that you can't shut up about? You can't help but talk about. When there's that authentic move of the God, of God in our heart, there's this overflow And I believe this spirit-filled outreach is not so much about me telling you what you need to do, but it's about me saying this is who Jesus is in my life, and I I want you to experience him too. i got to tell you what he's done for me. Could you share? And then that sharing should lead to service. 
when our sharing leads to us feeling separate or better or holier than thou than them, we have a good idea that we're on the wrong track. But when I begin to share what Jesus is doing in my heart, it calls me to be like him, not just to experience him. I begin to serve them and put their needs above my needs. Well, we also see that not only will Jesus empower us to do some things, we need to expect to see God do the miraculous. In closing, real fast, let's look at one more scripture together. Acts 11. We find Peter in Acts 11. 11 verse 4. Peter began to explain everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying. A lot of things happen when people are praying. I was in the city of Joppa praying and I saw a vision. And he tells this vision of all these things that he saw that his tradition had told him were unclean. And the Lord says to him, the things that I have made are not unclean. When I have made it, it's clean, it's valuable. And then the Lord is preparing his heart to be open to this divine appointment that's coming up. Look at verse 11. Right then and there, three men who had been sent uh, to stop by the house where he was staying, the Spirit told me, to have no hesitation about going with them. And these six brothers also went with me, and we entered this man's house. This man told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house. And the angel said, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Well, what's happening here? The Lord was working behind the scenes. I love it. It says, send for Simon, who's now called Peter. The Lord had been working early on in doing something authentic in Simon's life, and it required a name change, that he had encountered Jesus. But he also was being prepared, I'm going to call you, Simon Peter, to some places that seem very unclean, to some people that have seemed off limits, some people who seem like, I don't know about them. But, but Jesus was, was preparing him, saying, hey, I'm working on your heart, and I'm going to ask them to be hungry for you, to be ready to receive you. We should also see that the Lord will use the unexpected I mean, who would have guessed that an angel of the Lord would have come and would have prepared this man, would have prepared him to hear what it was that Simon Peter was going to say and to even send for him to come. We also can see that the Lord will call his people to be part of the miraculous plan. What is it that the Lord is doing in you now, maybe not just for you, a life transformation thing that he could use to go and give hope to someone else? Well, I don't know, Brady. That's the part of the family that we don't talk to. That's the part of the family who's living like no good, dirty, rotten, you know what. And so I don't know if we can talk to him. That friend used to be my friend, but, but I don't know. We're not the same anymore. Hey, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is alive and that Jesus saves. Well, Brady, that's nice. That's what happened a long time ago, but that doesn't really happen anymore. Well, I want you to hear some of my friends of what, Jesus has been doing in their heart. Where'd Pastor Ryan go? I just saw him. Pastor Ryan. Share with us, briefly, in just a couple minutes, what your encounter was like as you came to know the Lord first in your family. So, I had a very loving family, but um, we didn't go to church when I grew up. At 16 years old in driver's ed, somebody invited me to go to church for the very first time. A year after that, um, I came to know Christ and began following him for the first time in my life. 
very quickly um, for two reasons. One, I was so excited about Jesus. He had helped me overcome depression and a lot of other junk that was in my life. And so I was excited just to talk about him. But then also my youth leader and my friends at church were telling me, you got you to gotta tell your parents what God is doing in your life. And so I started with my dad because we had always been really close. And I remember telling my dad about Jesus, everything he was doing in my life. And to be honest, um, I wasn't that smooth back then. And those of you who know me, that hasn't changed much. But... <laughs> I remember trying to get God into every conversation. One time we were going to the movies and my dad unlocked the car doors with a key fob. And I was like, Dad, thanks for opening my door. Did you know that Jesus opens the door to heaven? You know, this is, this is how I was trying it, right? I was 16. Give me a break. And so I remember telling my dad time and time again. And then one night he said, son, come on up to my room. So I went up to my dad's room. This is where we hung out at. And he said, hey, I, church seems like it's great for you. And I'll take you anytime you want to go. And I'll pay for the youth trips and all that kind of stuff. But... I want you to know that I will never accept Christ. And as a teenager, of course, there were feelings of failure. There was part of me that was like, God, what are you doing? I'm I'm trying here. And then the hardest part was just hearing my own dad tell me that he was never going to accept Christ. And so five years went by, and I remember my youth leaders telling me to pray for my dad, and so I did every day. Anytime we were in Bible study and they had a prayer request, I was like, my dad, you know. And so we prayed, and, but there were times when it seemed like God was doing some things here and there, but my dad never accepted Christ. And then my sophomore year of college, my dad last, lost his job. It was a hard time for our family, and I, I remember my dad saying, hey, could you just pray for me? And so I did. And then I remember I was home for another break months and months after that, and my dad came down um, after having a phone conversation and said, hey, um, you can stop praying because I just found a job. It's going to be really good for our family. And so just take some time and thank God. And I looked at my dad and I said, well, I'll do that, Dad, but do you want to pray with me? And he said, yeah, uh, that sounds good. And so we went up to my dad's room and uh, we knelt down um, at the bed. And I, I said a very basic prayer. I just said, God, thanks for the job. Thanks for listening. And um, thanks for helping my family out. Amen. Then my dad started and said basically the same thing, but then all of a sudden, uh, my dad, who was a Marine, and if you're a Marine, uh, our saying in the house was, you know, uh, Marines don't cry, they make other people cry. Well, my dad, this tough guy who had fought in a war, all of a sudden tears started to come out of his eyes, and I heard him say these words. He said, God, I'm sorry for not listening to you. I'm sorry for the sins in my life, and I want to accept you, and I want to follow you. And in that same room where my dad had told me, um, he would never accept Christ. He knelt and accepted Christ as a Savior. And it was nothing I did. I was trying to be obedient every step of the way, but I messed up a bunch of times. But I'm here today, and I can tell you that um, God didn't abandon me. He didn't abandon my dad, and he didn't abandon my family. And so some of you might be there today with family members or friends and know that God hasn't abandoned you or them either. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Thank you. Son, I'm glad you enjoy going to church, but you just need to know I'll never go to church. Jesus was still working behind the scenes. Jesus is still alive and he's still saving. I have my brother Brent. Brent Johnson has had some awesome things happen in his family and I'd like him to share what Jesus is doing. Good morning. Today, Jesus, to me, is my transformer and my provider of miracles through the answering of prayers. 
I want to briefly reflect on the power of prayer and how it has transformed me and my family. A seemingly few short years ago, I had everything I needed. I was one of the 6% of Army colonels that was commanding an Army brigade. I had 5,000 people working for me in a $100 million annual budget. I was prideful, arrogant, and leaving a wake of destruction behind me and my family. After all, I was a great physical provider, and if the Army wanted you to have a family, they would have issued you one. So taking care of the emotional needs was not only for Heidi, but any problems that we had were to be hidden from my comrades at all costs. How could you take care of soldiers if you couldn't take care of your own family? And I was proud that I took better care of my soldiers than my family. I had my own assigned chaplain. I had my own chapel. I chaired the Protestant chapel board on the installation I was at, and I went to church, and I checked all the blocks. So like Nero, I fiddled while Rome, my family, burned. Partially due to his inability to find affection and attention from his father at home, our son Seth began to struggle. I magnanimously told myself, I'm still in control, so I'll retire and save my son through not moving around and we'll have stability. After all, I was in control. We moved to Fort Wayne. We settled in, continuing to make work a priority and, quote, unable to find a church that fit. Things continued to spiral downward. Not only was Seth, but my other sons struggled with their own hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I continued to deny these issues and hid them from others as I was the only one around struggling with these issues. No one around me else had these issues. Prayer was not in my lexicon. Five years ago, I found a church family at Grace Point, and I came as the same proud Army colonel with that model family. I still didn't get it. Fast forward a year, and I was diagnosed with cancer and facing a son headed to prison. My other sons continued with their own struggles. My days of the illusion of control were over, and I reached out to God in prayer. As I have since learned in Celebrate Recovery, I came to realize I was not God. I was powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life was unmanageable. The journey had begun. I was soon invited, actually, it started earlier than that. I went to a, uh, a retreat with some of my Christian brothers, and then I was invited to a men's accountability group where we prayed for each other, and lo and behold, they had issues with their children. Heidi had equal prayer going up from women's Bible studies, the choir, and other prayer groups. I attended a leadership class with Pastor Brady, and I heard the Lord speak to me to join with Heidi in convening a home group around Stormy O. Martin's book, Praying for Your Adult Children, a book I had only skimmed the foreword to and couldn't find in the house. Heidi had the same thing laid on her heart while we had been praying independently for God's direction. We prayed for couples to join us, and they were identified and independently laid on our hearts by Jesus. Contrary to what we were told, that some would not join us and don't take it personally, we asked, and they all said yes. We read the book together. We shared our stories. We cried. We learned from each other. We lifted each other. We prayed for each other. During this time, Heidi said the Lord told her that 2016 was a year of restoration. Our son Seth had been legally out of our lives since January of 2013. We continued to pray for our family without ceasing as we 
watched the transformation of two of our sons as they began to seriously walk with the Lord, deepen their walks, and leave their struggles behind. In fact, one of those sons drove six hours today unexpectedly to support his brother and his family. We were we continued to be restrained from reaching out to Seth at this time, but we were praying for discernment and what reconciliation might look like. Our broad church family now shared in our ongoing struggle, and we're praying also. I began to reflect on Revelation 5, verses 7 to 8. He went and took the stroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. God gave me discernment that these bowls are full of prayers for Seth and my family. These past four weeks have seen miracle after miracle, starting with a God-directed, through prayer, family dinner after three years of separation the night before Easter, as God had answered these prayers. He has transformed my heart and restored my family, while being in the details by providing jobs and cars and and above all, hope and testimonies of his grace and mercy to be shared with others. I stand before you with my family, and I tested to the miraculous healing power of Jesus Christ through answering prayers within my family, not only my nuclear family, but also my broader Christian family. God listens and acts. Thank you for your prayers and continuing to walk with us on this journey. Do you love Jesus? Amen. Do you love Jesus with all your heart? Amen. Is it your desire to live the rest of your life for Him? Absolutely. Are you in relationship with Jesus? Yes, I am. Every, all the time. Thank you, brother. As uh, I sense the Lord directing of where this morning was going to go earlier this week, I felt the Lord prompt me to call Heidi and Brent and see if, if they would be open to sharing their testimony of how they prayed for their sons and Seth specifically. But, but I said, Lord, you know, this is fresh work. I, I don't want to embarrass anybody, and uh, I, I, I just I don't know if, if this is the right time. You know, Lord, let, let's just, maybe, maybe this isn't the right time. And I'd love to tell you that it was fuzzy, and I wasn't really sure if the Lord was speaking, but I wouldn't be honest, and, and I don't even really want to tell you this part. I'm just trying to be obedient. And uh Lord said, Brady, are you going to do what I just told you or not? You know what happens when you delay on my obedience? That's disobedience. And we could talk about that for a while if you want to. So I called Brent uh, more out of just because I got a spanking from the Lord. And, and uh, he, he answers the phone. And, and I'm thinking that Brent's going to say, yeah, you know, this may be too soon. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't know. And he says, yeah, I think that's great. In fact, we were just praying that, that someone would call and ask for, for Seth's contact number for some other things going on and, and to reach out and to, 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 to bring the brother in. And, and I could hear Heidi on the other side of the phone, and she was just as excited as Brent was. And I thought, okay, okay, fine, we'll do this. So I call Seth, and as I often do, I announced who I was, and I said, this is Pastor Brady. I might catch you at a bad time. And he said, yeah, I'm taking a nap. I said, I'll call back later. And I thought, well, Lord, see, look, this isn't the right, this isn't the right time. 
But I already knew the Lord told me to do that, so I called Seth. and Because and I, I told Brent, I don't want to do any of this with, without not only your green light, but, but Seth has to give a green light. Expecting that Seth may not be so open to it, but then through conversation, Seth basically says, can, can I share too? So I want to invite my brother Seth. Seth, you uh, have had a family who loves you and prays for you and share with us. What does that feel like to have a family who's loving you and praying for you, but then also talk to us about who Jesus is in your life and what he's doing in your heart right now? Amen. Morning, church. Well, I'm standing before you in front of my parents, given everything that's happened in the past is nothing short of a miracle. Um, I never thought that this day was going to come, and especially not this soon, um, to know that they've been in the background, you know, praying very fervently. And, and many of you that I have uh, recently encountered and met from coming to Grace Point, you know, your prayers have been greatly appreciated. And I, I truly believe that that is what carried me through to where I am today. So it's just an awesome feeling to know that, you know, not only do I have my, my blood family here, but I now have a new family that has embraced me with open arms and, and, and has made me feel welcome from day one. Um, my life has been characterized by a lot of bad choices. Uh, I don't believe, and this is not just for me, but I don't believe that there's bad people. I believe that people make bad choices. And that's what happened with me. Um, you know, as, as Dad kind of shared a little bit, um, I, I struggled with, you know, growing up, especially around high school, I was very angry. Uh, I didn't feel loved, um, not necessarily from, from anybody. I don't honestly don't know where it came from. But I began to, to seek love and attention in all the wrong places, and I turned to the streets. And as I did, um, I found what I thought was my niche, um, I finally felt that I was home, that I had encountered people that were more than willing to to be a part of my life. But as things progressed and, and, and we're kind of getting to know each other, it's it, it became more of a, it was more of a dog-eat-dog, dog, you know, like, I'm going to get over on you today and, and then tomorrow you'll probably get me. And it, it was never, it was never what I wanted it was at the time what I thought I wanted, but it was not. Um, the Lord laid a scripture on my heart today, uh, and I wanted to share it with you. It comes out of First Peter chapter five, verse ten, and I believe that this is um, this kind of summarizes a lot of everything for me. It says, "And after you have suffered a, a little while, His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you." To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, as I mentioned before, you know, prayer wasn't very much a part of my life except for when I felt that I could barter with God. When I, when I thought that I could use him as a bailout plan, it became one of these, you know, if you keep me out of handcuffs this time, then I will for sure serve you. Or if you help me pass this drug test and I don't have to go back, I will serve you. You know, and um, going to prison was just, inevitable with the life that I was living, you know, it, it finally caught up with me. And, and actually, I, I met somebody in jail that said something that has always stuck with me. And he said, Seth, the things that keep me up at night is not 
what I'm here for, but it's all the things that I got away with. And that's something that, you know, like for the longest time, I wanted to shut the door on my past and I wanted to just shove it out and, and, and be done with it and kind of just not have to deal with it. But now I am so grateful that I can stand here redeemed. And that is what Christ is for me today, is, is hope and redemption and that I can use my story and, and I can reach out. And I was so thankful and and I understand you know Pastor Brady was kind of like well you know we haven't been doing this for that long but I'm so thankful that I can stand here today and share with you about the hope of Christ and uh there's a parable that that somebody shared with me one time and and it's really awesome it's about this uh this five-year-old boy and his father and they're in their garage and his dad's tinkering around like whatever with a lawnmower or something and his son just wants to play and play, and, and, and he keeps bothering him. And, and finally, you know, his dad's like, okay, you know what, here we go. So he pulls out this huge National Geographic map, and he tears it into a bunch of pieces, and he sets it on the floor with some, with some tape, and he's like, okay, go ahead and put this map back together. And he's thinking to himself, he's like, by the time I'm done, you know, he's done doing that, I'll be done with what I'm doing, and we can play and hang out and, and whatever. And his son comes up to him about ten minutes later, and, and, and it's put back together. And his dad's completely baffled, and he looks at him, and he's like, how did you do that? And, you know, I'm in my 50s, and I could have never done it that fast. And uh, his son looked up at him, and he said, well, it was easy. You know, on the back of the map was a picture of a man, and when I put the man back together, the whole world fell into place. So if there's anybody out here that to where you feel that Christ is, is out of reach or that you're, you're in way over your head. Just, I can stand before you today and say that he was there, you know, and, and I just had to stop being stubborn. And the day that I surrendered and God spoke to me, it was just, it, it's been awesome. And, and I encourage you that um, no matter where you're at, you know, he will meet you. Thank you. Seth, do you love Jesus? I do. Is it your desire to live for him the rest of your life? Yes, it is. Are you living in relationship with him? Uh, it's growing each and every day. Amen. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, brother. Steve Shogren has said two things that God rarely does. is everything at once and nothing at all. Some of you are here today and you know exactly what family member that came across your mind as soon as we started talking about this. And it may be a desire in your heart that God would do all of it right now and he may do that sometimes, but he doesn't always do it that way. And some of us feel like, well, God isn't doing anything. And and both of those two extremes are rarely what God does. He is working behind the scenes. If you're here today and there's a family member, you're not judging them, but to the best of Of your knowledge, they need an encounter with Jesus. The part of the story that we didn't share today, Seth heard of the Lord before. Wasn't brand new information for him. Brent heard of God before. Wasn't brand new information. But there was a Lydia. There was a Heidi who had vibrant relationship with Jesus. 
who wouldn't give up praying for her husband and for her kids. It wasn't that they'd never ever heard this before, but, but it was driven deep in her heart that, that they would encounter Jesus the way she encounters Jesus. She didn't always get it perfect. But she never gave up. And then God took these open doors and began to do miracles in people's lives. Not coincidence, miracles of them having their own authentic encounter. Son, I'm glad you like going to church, but I'll never go. Yeah, son, I'd like to pray with you. Well, I'm going to quit my high-powered military job because I'm going to save my son. I've got the control. I, I can't control anything. Lord, I give my son to you, my family to you, my husband to you. If you're here today, I want to invite you just to come and stand at the altar. We're going to stand in the gap for our Moms, our dads, our sons, our daughters, our brothers, our sisters, our extended family members, our close friends. If you're here today, don't wait for someone else. Just come and stand. If you can't stand and you want to participate, you can come sit on the front row. But just come in close and stand. We're going to pray. Brady, is that all we're going to do? (laughs) We're going to pray. We've just been reading. When people pray, God changes things. Could it be that... We could mark the time at, at 12, 18. Oh, pastor, we're supposed to be. Who cares what time is supposed to be done? You always have freedom. If you've got to go somewhere, go. God's moving here. Right. He's doing something. Could it be at 12, 18 that we could mark that somewhere across this country, a, a mom, a dad, a son or a daughter had an encounter with Jesus? A close friend had an encounter with Jesus. We're going to pray. And I, I, I just, oh, Lord, help me. It's not about the phrases that we say, how it rhymes, how long it is, how good it sounds, how comfortable we are. It's in the one whom we are crying out to. Our Jesus is real. He's alive and he saves. And when we cry out to him, be careful. There's a huge probability that he wants to change you. Because he wants you to overflow. Overflow with what he's doing. That you begin to listen differently. You begin to love differently. You begin to share differently. You begin to serve differently. And pretty soon you'll begin to see that the Lord has been working behind the scenes all along. And we can give glory to Him. Uh, As we pray, I just want to ask, don't listen to me pray. You join in. Talk to your Jesus with me. Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have come out of a heart for a family member. Out of a heart for a close friend. Jesus, we've been telling you all year long that we don't want to just play church. We don't want to just do religion. We don't want to just kind of get cleaned up once a week and come in and just kind of feel good for a little bit. Lord, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to follow you. We've been crying out to you, Lord. Help us be men and women that you've called us to be. But Jesus, you're turning us outside this building. You're turning us outside of our own ritual and habit. And Lord, I ask that you, the God of hope, would begin to fill us. Lord, we don't have the control. We don't have the power to change the past. We don't have the ability to control the future. Lord, we don't have any ability to make any one person believe. But Lord, would you fill us so much with your presence that we cannot shut up about what you're doing. 
Oh God, would you shut us up on the things that we're trying to tell that other person to do, be a lifestyle police and, and get up in their grill and those things. Jesus, would we be so saturated with the fresh move of what you're doing in our heart that it silences everything? How do you argue with what someone is experiencing in you? So Lord, right now I thank you for fathers whose hearts are being prepared, who mothers whose hearts are being softened. They were given a Bible at Christmas and it just sits there. But you've proven again, Lord. You don't, you don't do things all at once often and you don't do nothing very often. So I thank you that you're working in that mom and dad right now. You know where they're at. You know who I'm talking about. Right now, Lord, go to them. Soften their heart. Draw them in, Lord. Bring this testimony to completion. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. I lift up that son or daughter. The parents are standing here. Their heart is broken. They say, Jesus, would you intervene? Lord, I lift up the one who has a sibling. You know the pain. You know the distance. You know the, 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 the blockage in the relationship. Lord, would you bring healing there? And more important than that, Jesus, would you bring salvation? Would you change our hearts to be able to go and say, Jesus is alive and he's saving me? Lord, I lift up the friends. There's some friends. Lord, there's some people who are still seated. They weren't sure if they could get up because the testimonies were about family members. But Lord, it's a close friend. And, and Jesus, the, the world says that they're unclean. Uh, the church says they're unclean. And the culture says, well, that's so very polar opposite of the church. Jesus, I pray that you'll speak to them just like you did to Peter. Lord, I pray that you would give him, give that person a clearance that everything you made is worthy to be redeemed. And that there is no person who's too far gone. There's no sin that's so crazy out there that you cannot bring healing from. And so, Lord, would you call my friend to stand in the gap for them right now? Lord, would you affirm in their heart, I'm not talking about someone else, but it's them. And in their heart of hearts, they know, Lord, you are calling them to intercede right now. Jesus, we are on the way to the place of prayer. We are calling out to you, expecting you to do your miracle. So thank you, Jesus, before we see it, for what you're going to do and our friends, and our family's heart. To that I say amen and amen. Church, before you take off, I want you to look around. You're not alone. Okay, like, look around, like, turn around. And you're just looking at me. Turn around, look, look, look. Like, you, yeah, you, you, turn around, look. Look at your brothers and sisters around you. Whether you're seated or standing... If someone came to you today and said, would you be praying for my friend or family member? How many of you would say yes? If you would do that. If you would not, then don't raise your hand. If you would say yes, I'd pray. Raise your hand. Now look around. Why are we carrying it by ourselves? Jesus is alive. He is saving. And he says, get out of this room and start going home and loving on somebody. Maybe there's someone in this room that we need to listen to better. Maybe there's someone in this room that we're going to start loving differently. We're going to start sharing and serving differently. With this, I release you, not out of my authority, but out of the power of Jesus Christ. May he send you to them to turn their eyes from darkness to light. Not you. You're not in control, just like Brent. You don't have this great little speech just like Pastor Ryan. 
But He's going to empower you. He's going to fill you. The God of hope will fill you with His joy of what He's doing in you to turn their eyes from darkness to light. In the name of Jesus, you are not dismissed. You are commissioned to go carry the good news He's put in your heart. God bless you. Go obey.